0: We got our handouts correct. Yes, a little insert in there. May refer to this limited time. Uh, but uh, it'll help reinforce what we're covering today because we're covering a subject that is talked a lot, of, uh, talked a lot about, but we're not really for sure the mechanics sometimes when if we went to explain it to someone else. And so I'm hoping that this will clear up a lot of things and to make us think and have a profound appreciation Uh, For Christ, so you'll also be glad to know we have another batch of pens on the way. Now they're not first edition pens, but they write, so it's good. But before we get started, let's take a moment, let's pray together, please. Father, we do thank you for the conviction of truth that you bring upon people like Martin Luther, who uh, saw injustices before him. And because of what the truth of your word said, acted. Father, may we be as wise in that. Please bless our time today. Ask, Father, that you add it to our understanding, that you would illuminate the text to our hearts and our minds. By the Spirit, we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. If you would take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis 15. We're going through a series called Foundational Framework. The reason is, is because in order to understand anything in the New Testament, you have to have the foundations of what is the Old Testament, Genesis 15. There are four foundational truths that we have seen so far. So I want to make sure that we go over them just to make sure that we're all clear and then we can move forward. Number one, the Bible, the very thing that you hold is God's self-revelation. He wants to be known, and so this is how he has chosen to make himself known. Number two, God is the eternal, sovereign creator. All that he creates is good. All that he creates is completely consistent with his character. I'm having a discussion with a guy right now who's telling me that God is okay with people sinning because it's all part of his plan. I'm trying to make him realize how contradictory that is to the personhood of who God claims to be. If he is good, that's not part of him. Number three, man is a responsible agent held to a moral standard. Responsible, accountable. We all have to give an answer at some point. When God says, why should I let you into my heaven? We better have a good answer. And hopefully that answer is the free pardon that is made available through Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk more about that in a minute. The last thing that we really hit on was the fact that where sin originates Today is not the day to speak in tongues. Sin originates within the heart. This is where it comes from. And we are evil. Period. Evil thoughts, evil words, evil deeds, evil desires. It all originates here. It is not from God. Otherwise, it would be contradictory. So It's important to understand. Now last week... We dealt with Abram, and Abram was called by God to leave everything he had and to travel along into a country he had never been to, and he received some great promises. Can anybody remember what the contents regarding each promise was? There's three major things. So you know you're going to have a pop quiz today, right? What is it? Land? Land's a big one. Seed? What do we mean by seed? Abram's going to have kids. He's 75 years old. Anybody 75 willing to take on that mantle? When we, yeah. <laughs> I love it. A very clear answer. We were told we never have children. So when I'm 39 years old and we find out that we're pregnant, I'm a little taken aback. I can only imagine what's going on with God making this promise to Abram. And what was the last one? Blessing. And who is the blessing? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is the blessing that comes through the line of Abram. Why? Because he dies for the sins of the world, we are told over and over in Scripture. Now, we're skipping chapters, the rest of 13 and 14, because we're only hitting major events. So we're in 15, and we're going to see something very interesting. Some time has passed. The promise has been out there for a while. We'll start in verse 1. After these things... The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. Now, don't you just hate it when God says that is the first thing? Because what does that tell you? Something's coming. Right? Jeremy? Yes, Lord. Don't fear. But notice that he backs that up. I am a shield for you. Okay, that's good stuff. Your reward shall be very great. Okay, that's really good stuff. And then that's it. Abram got off scot-free with that one. Okay, Lord, I'm not going to fear. You made it real easy not to fear. But notice it's all about what's going on inside Abram. Look what he says. Abram said, Oh Lord God. Now stop for a second because you could run right through that and completely miss what's going on here. Everybody see how that word Lord is capital L, lowercase, O-R-D, okay? Every time that we've seen Lord up until this point, it's been capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And the reason is, is because we know that when it speaks of God, G-O-D, we are dealing with Elohim, okay? We're dealing with deity of some sort. But when we deal with capital, all caps, L-O-R-D, we are dealing with his divine name, Yahweh, is what we're dealing with Yahweh Elohim is how he's normally described but this is different and English translators have wanted to point this out to us because this is where the name Adonai is used And it's different from using Yahweh or God in this situation. So if you look at it, whenever they bring capital L, lowercase O-R-D, that is Adonai, and then when it says God after it, if you have your little footnote in your Bible, you might notice a number there or something you can check over in the margin. And here's something that you can see is actually they chose to use the word Yahweh and translate it God there. So what you actually have is O Adonai Yahweh. Now, what does the word Adonai mean? Adonai means master. It is a way of really lifting up or reverencing oneself underneath another to exalt them to major proportions. Now, this is the first use of this in Scripture. And so when he says there, "Oh, Adonai Yahweh, now it almost seems strange that he says this. What will you give me? Now, hold it. What's he want? All right? But notice he says, Since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. In other words, somebody else born in my house is going to inherit everything that I have in God. I'm getting old. So I want to let you know, master. Yahweh and real quick the word Adonai is derived from a word that means firm or stable or sure it's the idea of unmovable is what he's describing God as the unmovable one the master the Lord of all things I don't have any kids and you promised me kids and you're the one who gives kids so why ain't I got kids right that's how the Hebrew reads And Pastor Steve's not here, so he can't tell you otherwise, right? But notice it says here, verse 3. And Abram said, since you have given no offspring, because notice, he's reverent, he understands, the Lord's the one who opens and closes the womb. One born in my house is to be my heir. Then, behold, the word of the Lord came to him. Now, here's another word of the Lord. and Glad he doesn't say, do not fear, right? Came to him saying, this man will not be your heir, but... One who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. Now, when Abraham's taking two excedrin every day and reaching for the Geritol, he's probably not believing in this promise too much. What do you think? I mean, isn't this kind of the discrepancy that he's had here? I've got a promise, but I'm not seeing the promise fulfilled. God says, wait a second. You're going to have the child, just as I said, in a natural way. But it's going to be a supernatural means by which you get it. Okay? This is important to understand. God is not beyond using natural ways in order to bring about supernatural events. He's God. He can do that. So notice it says here, verse 5, here's an illustration. He took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you are able to count them. The greatest planetarium anybody had ever seen in their life, right? Right? He walks out, he takes a look up, and the question is, can you count the stars? The answer is obviously what? Not at all. Notice what he says. So shall your descendants be. Now, out of the three promises that he made before in Genesis 12, which one of these promises is it most concerned with? Land, seed, or blessing? Got to do with the seed. In order to have more seeds, you've got to have a seed, right? It's got to happen. Now look at Abram's response. Verse 6. One of the most important verses, I believe, in all of the Old Testament. Then he what? Believed Believed in the Lord. And he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Let me read it one more time, because you may not pick up on how great it is when we first go through it. Hopefully my accent helps. Then... He believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Now, we're going to talk about the reckoned as righteousness next week. But God restated something that he had already promised. And because when Abraham was met, or I'm sorry, Abram was met with that statement, He simply believed that it was true. His response was trust in God's word. All of a sudden, Abram is now declared, reckoned, should be considered before the sight of Adonai Yahweh as one who is righteous. Now this is important to understand. Only righteous people can dwell with a righteous God. Why? Because he's righteous. In fact, he he determines and writes the standard for what righteousness is. Do you remember at the very beginning, Genesis, we're going through, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. Only God can declare what is good. Only God can declare the unrighteous righteous. And this first mention right here, Is meant to grab our attention to teach us a vital truth. It is by believing and believing alone in God's word that makes someone righteous in His sight. Everybody with me? Now the the the, sorry the Greek the Hebrew word that is used here he a mean means to confirm to support. It means to establish, to verify, to be reliable, to be faithful. In other words, God says it, you trust it. That's it. A lot of people don't like this. It's too easy. Let me ask you a question. Is it easy to trust God? When you think about it, it's not. Sometimes God's saying stuff and you're reading it and you're like, what, right? What is going on? Does that mean that He's not true? No, it just means that we don't have the capacity to comprehend it. So now I want to show you some things about faith is what we're focusing on. About faith, it's important. If you would, take your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews 11. It is always good when you can find something in Scripture that is going to give a comment on another section of scripture hebrews chapter 11 and what do we know this chapter commonly as do we know what is it the faith the hall of faith the faith chapter some people call it the by faith chapter because that's how almost every verse starts by faith by faith by faith by faith sounds like a good place to figure out what faith means okay now We're going to start in verse 8 because I want to look at 8, 9, and 10 because it speaks to the occasion which we are looking at so it gives better clarity and understanding. Hebrews 11, look at verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise. As in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise, for he was looking for a city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Pause. When did Abraham believe God? What's it tell you? When did it happen? When that? When he was called. So back at the end of chapter 11 is the first time that Abraham believed something that God had to say. Now, you might say, okay, wait a second, so what's going on in 15? Get it. This is the point. Why in the world would God command Moses to take an event that happens later after that initial time and set it aside to paint a picture of him being declared righteous in this situation? Can anybody imagine why? If he believed back when he left his country and went to a place he'd never been to, why is it not until chapters thirteen, chapter fourteen, chapter fifteen, verse six that we have the he believed and was declared righteous? Why is that? Did anybody know? Well, God exists without time. That'd be a way we could look at it. Time, he's not bound by time. Time's for our benefit to help us out. He believed in the promise. How about God set it aside to get our attention? You think God likes to get our attention? Man, he likes to get my attention all the time. You ever read a passage of scripture about 50 times and then one day it just whops you upside the head? And you say, what just happened? And it's almost like it's going, look at me, right? And you're like, weirded out, what's going on? It's because God wants to get your attention at that moment for something. Why does he set aside an event like this because he wants to show us something we would not normally see because of everything else going on and what is that when you believe what god has said he declares you as righteous in other words he sees you before him as sinless does that sound amazing does it sound full of grace See, you don't buy into this stuff that the old testament gods mean he's full of grace he simply gives us something, we believe it, and he esteems us as sinless people because he now sees us through his son. I could preach about that, but that's next week, right? So here's a question. How would you define faith? Who's asleep? Raise your hand. Okay, to make sure. We think what what Taking God at his word? Believing God? What? Say it again. Believe. Believing without seeing? Give me a biblical answer. Uh-oh. Oh. Here comes Kevin with the hammer. Thank you, Thor. <laughs> All right. Everybody back up to verse 1 of chapter 11. I love the way that he starts this. And I don't understand why we have so many crazy definitions of faith flying out there, and it doesn't seem that anybody wants to come to the Bible and give the Bible's definition of faith here's what i've heard recently in the past couple of days well faith is is that you're willing to forsake all evil things in your life you're going to walk that aisle you're going to pray the prayer you're going to commit yourself to god's work or at least be willing in order to do so you're not going to any longer participate in the sins of your past if you've really believed you'll be completely sold out Now stop for just a second and let's think about that. Is that more about you or more about what Jesus did for you? It's important to think about. That's a man-centered salvation equation that will easily land you into hell with a free ticket. Okay? Very important. Why not take the Bible's definition of faith? Watch what it says here. Chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is... The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now let's break down some of these words. If you notice, there are two words that probably stick out to you, and one that we have a messed up 21st century understanding of. Okay, look what it says. Now, faith is the assurance. This is an interesting Greek word. It's the word "hupostasis" is what it is. And if you're familiar, with with anything Greek, hoopo means to place yourself under or alongside of something. The word stasis is actually derived from the word histami is the idea. And it's got this idea of a firm foundation. It's the idea of a guarantee that's going on. Or actually people back then used to use it whenever they would sell property and they would fill out a title deed and they would hand that. Here's your hoopostasis. In other words, you've got ownership in on this situation. That's the idea. So notice, now faith is, the ownership is the idea of it. It's the guarantee that you have possession of it. It's yours is the idea. Everybody like that? Everybody see how there's a lot of security wrapped up in that? Good stuff. Now notice it says here, the assurance, the guarantee of things hoped for. Now, that's not, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. Does everybody know that? When the Bible uses the word hope, it is speaking of something that is sure, that is in the bank, that is going to happen. It's just not here yet. Will you be saved in the future? Have you been saved in the past? I hope you're being saved right now. Three tenses of salvation. Anybody getting saved? I am. If I'm the only person who gets saved today, it's worth it, right? It's good. What's he saying? Is he lost? Is he going to hell? Why is he preaching? So notice, the guarantee of things hoped for, the expectation, you're looking forward for it is the idea. The conviction of things not seen. Does everybody know that faith is a conviction? You're convinced that it's true. That conviction, not three to five years conviction. Not across the highway conviction. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about that you have a conviction that it's true. You are persuaded, which is often used synonymous with faith, that it's true. You believe you can stake a claim on it. Here's what faith is not. Faith is not, oh, well, Jesus was born and he died on a cross and he raised and and yeah, That's, that's not faith. That's you believing some facts about Christ. The question is, is do you have a conviction about what he did for you? Do you have a conviction about what he did for you? Are you appropriating? that faith would be another way to look at it. Now, here's what's interesting. Look at verse 2. For, here's an explanation. By it, men of old, and honestly, I don't like this translation, gained approval. Now, is that true? Did Was Abram justified? Was he reckoned righteous before God when he believed? That's true, but what's interesting is is that's not what the word here means. It's the idea of they secured a good testimony. They have an honorable word. In fact, the Greek word is derived from the word that we use for martyr. They have a witness to behold. And then what is the rest of this chapter? By faith, this. By faith, this. What is it? People's lives and testimony based from the conviction that God's word is true. Everybody with me? Now, I'm going to say something that's extremely controversial, and you're not going to agree with me, but pray about it, and then agree with me, okay? Okay? Back in Genesis 15, is Abram believing in Jesus Christ to be declared righteous? Does Jesus' name come up? No. In fact, if you think about the Bible that Abram had at that moment, I mean, it's 14 chapters long and he just stepped into the 15, right? So, from what he knows, probably from oral history, what does he know about the Messiah so far? Do we know? What's that? nothing well not nothing a little bit he knows the promise what's the promise right what is it through his seed the world will be blessed blessed. he's got that promise was there anything about the messiah before chapter 12 to crush the head of the serpent there's going to be a deliverer that comes that crushes the head of satan that's what he knows about jesus so far in fact You don't even know his name is Jesus until you get to Matthew chapter 1. So notice, as the Bible is a progressive revelation, as you read from Genesis forward, and that's why we started in Genesis 1 and we're moving forward and we're seeing how Revelation, not the book of Revelation, the revelation of God unfolds itself and you learn more as you go, you begin to become anticipating a Messiah to come. Right now, all Abram has is God's word. God speaks the word, Abram believes it is true, and he is declared as righteous. He is convinced, he has assurance of this. It is a definite thing looking forward. Does everybody, does that help clear this up? Okay, does anybody have any questions? It's a good sermon to have questions on, because I'm prepared, all right? So let's do this, let's rattle everybody. Turn to Ephesians 2. I love rattling people in a Christian way. <laughs> I'm here to rattle you in the Lord, right? I'm going to start sending some of you guys some cards with that. In the Lord, I'm here to rattle you. Ephesians chapter 2. We're familiar with this chapter, right? For We were all dead in trespasses and sins, walking according to disobedience, Right? Along with the prince of the power of this age or the prince of the power of the air. But God made us alive. Ephesians 2.5, right? Salvation is all of God's work. He does it all. He secured the work for you because we cannot work for it. There's nothing good we can do to be saved at all. So someone else has to provide a perfect work. But look at verses 8 and 9. We love these. We probably know these, but I want you to think critically about them. I want to show you something. For by grace... All God's people said, hey, man, right? You have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not a res- as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now, let's break this down a little bit so that we comprehend it. Are there any works you can do to be saved? No. Is it by God's grace you've been saved? Is it through faith that you're saved? Yes, it is. Is it of yourselves? Is it the gift of God? What is the gift of God? What? What is it? Do we know? Salvation, eternal life? Grace? Faith? Jesus? Sunday School Answers, David, start throwing them out there. Let me show you something really interesting that the English doesn't tell you. In fact, I'm really excited about what the NASB did here. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that. Everybody see that word that. Circle it. It's important. And if you you happen to have a Bible that's kind of like mine, some of you have asked what Bible I'm using. I'm using the, the New American Standard 95 edition side column reference Bible. Sometimes I say things and you're like, that's not my Bible. Uh, The parts I'm telling you aren't inspired, they're just options for translation, okay? But next to that, I've got a little number one, and if I look over at verse 8, it says that salvation, okay? Now this is very revealing because it explains something in the Greek that people have gotten wrong for years and years and years, and it's extremely dangerous, dangerous theology, okay? So watch, for by grace, mark that, underline that, you have been saved through faith, underline that. And that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Grace is in the feminine, in Greek. Faith is in the feminine, in Greek. But see that little word, that, that you circled? It's in the neuter. And what's interesting is, is this is a demonstrative pronoun. Yeah, yeah, you guys need to have coffee for this morning, right? This is a demonstrative pronoun. And the rule in Greek grammar is, is that your demonstrative pronoun has to agree in the gender of its antecedent, okay? So what does that mean? It means that if that, the demonstrative pronoun, what it's referring back to, if that is in neuter, that means that faith has to be in neuter, and that means that grace has to be in neuter in order for faith to be a gift, in order for grace to be a gift. The problem is, is the grammar doesn't work. What is it talking about? It's talking about exactly what this little note in the NASB says. It's saying that salvation as a whole is the gift of God. Why is that? Because he's not obligated to save a person. Does everybody understand that? God doesn't have to save anyone. But the fact by his grace, giving us the opposite of what we deserve, he makes salvation possible because Jesus does all the perfect work and then he calls upon us to believe. In Christ, that is a gift from God. Now, you might say, what's your big deal? Here's the reason why. Because a lot of people go around saying, well, faith is a gift. And God chooses to give it to some people, but he doesn't give it to others. If God gave all y'all over here faith and not y'all, are y'all going to be upset? You know what that means? It means that no matter how many times they hear the gospel, they can't believe because God didn't gift them faith. Does that sound weird to you? It's very strange to me, because when I see phrases like, behold, the Lamb of God, who pays for the sins of the world, right? He's the propitiation, the satisfaction for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. Grammatically speaking, it makes no sense to say that God gives some people faith and not everybody faith. Let me ask you this. How many of you tried out the chairs you're sitting in before you sat down? Wouldn't it be amazing if I hit a button and everybody fell? How would you feel about that? What is going on here? I trusted this chair. Hmm. Does that mean that you had a conviction that you believed it would hold you if you sat down? It's not any different about Jesus, is it? Do you believe that he can save you? Do you believe that he did the work that can be appropriated to you so that you can stand righteous before the Lord? does everybody see how this works and why it's important any questions about it please okay go for it Go ahead. see in a gift you have to receive it yes okay we don't always receive the gift and remember what is the gift the gift is salvation is made available by god's grace through personal faith what was the other question go ahead paul uh is gift neuter. You know what I don't know but I can research it. I don't know. Yes. Hold on cuz Mary knows. Mary she's researching it man aren't you glad you showed up today (laughs) 9 a.m this is the kind of studies that you want to have are you being picky okay well the idea well with gift what you're going to have is since it's a definite article it's going to agree with the noun is the idea so it's going to it's going to agree in gender uh all of that come on mary dead air time here no pressure (laughs) it is a feminine noun so it can't refer to gift either is the idea interesting and that's what that's the point that it's coming across here that is referring to the concept of salvation go back to chapter one and you'll see it so here's the idea there's actually a belief out there that God has to make you alive first, and then give you gift, and give you then give you faith as a gift, and then you will exercise it. Now, being made alive by God is regeneration. Anybody know what regeneration is called in John three? You must be what born again. Can somebody be born again before they believe? That's crazy. How can you be born again, born of the Spirit, born from above, without believing in the object that saves you? Does that that make sense to everybody? See, this is what makes it so dangerous. Because what you have the teaching being promoted is, well, God just didn't flip your switch. And the reason why you're going to hell is because he didn't want to flip your switch. Who's responsible for you going to hell at that moment? It's God. Everybody see how serious those charges are? Can God save you? Did God provide everything to save you? Yeah, in fact, salvation is wholly his work. But to think that for some reason he didn't flip your switch so that you couldn't be saved? Everybody see how that flies in the face of a good God? doesn't seem to be God's heart. So here's the question. How do people get saved? Do we know? believe that's i love it yes believe exactly but what does that look like everybody put your hand up right hand here we go gotta go fast move move your fingers spirit fingers everybody not holy spirit fingers those are too much okay spirit fingers we're going to start flipping here we go romans 10 everybody go 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 it's like bible drill go 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 bible drill don't rip your pages okay slow down if you need to they make those pages so thin Romans 10. I'm going to show you a, a group of verses that will all point you in the exact same direction. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Everybody with me? Three, two, one. Here we go. So faith comes from what? Hearing and hearing by the word of who? Of Christ, exactly. Now, turn with me. 1 Peter 1, to the right, to the right, to the right, right, right. 1 Peter 1, Bible drill, Bible drill, Bible drill. Peter's talking to Christians, chapter 1, verse 22. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for sincere love of the brethren. In other words, they've grown for their love for other believers. Through the living and enduring word of God. Or I'm sorry, uh, sorry. uh, Fervently love one another from the heart. Verse 23. For you have been born again. Now watch this. Not of seed which is perishable, but what? Imperishable. And what is that imperishable seed? That is through the living and enduring what? Word of God. Faith comes through hearing and hearing the word of God. Turn to your left to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, look at verse 18. In the exercise of his will, there's your source of salvation. He brought us forth. There's the gift. He brought us forth by the word of truth. There's the means which He used so that we would be a kind of first fruits among His creatures. That's the reason. Hearing the word, being brought forth. You hear the word and you believe. Let's go to another one we're familiar with. John chapter 5. John chapter five, verse twenty four. We know this one? You should know it by heart, right? John five twenty four, excellent verse in sharing your faith. John five twenty four. Truly, truly, that means y'all can believe it, right? Truly, truly I say to you, he who hears what? My word and what? Believes him who sent me, has eternal life. And does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life, hearing the word, believing the word. One more passage, Ephesians one. To the right, come on, don't 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 give out. You get your coffee here in just a minute. Ephesians one. I don't hear as many pages. I have sensitive ears to the flipping of scripture. Flip, flip, flip. Ephesians 1, verse 13. And as far as I'm concerned, this is the order of salvation clearly spelled out in the Bible. It's it's pretty interesting when I talk with people about this and some of the arguments they bring up, they just don't seem to fly here. Chapter 1 of Ephesians, verse 13. In him, stop. Who's him? Jesus. Exactly, right? So watch this. In Jesus, you also, after... Listening to the message of truth. Is that the word? Is that you hearing the word? Yes, it is. The gospel of your salvation, having also what? There it is again. You were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. How are people saved? People are saved by one way and one way only, and that is hearing about Christ and responding in belief. Now, why is that important for us to know today? Does everybody see why missions is so important? Does everybody see why we would take the time to ask the Lord, to call upon Him and say, Lord, give me an open door so I could share my faith with someone? Whether it's leaving a tract, where it's having a personal conversation, whatever it is, unless they hear the gospel, they cannot be saved. Why? Because they can't believe. The Word of God is the agency by which faith is generated. We must hear the Word and believe. Are there any questions about that? No one. Seems pretty clear, doesn't it? When we look at those passages, we go, wait a second, this all says the same thing. So if you would, grab your papers. On the back. Look down at the last paragraph. Salvation is by God's grace. Not a single person on the face of the earth who has lived, is living, or will ever live, deserves salvation. Not a person. No one. So when we talk about it being God's grace, we're talking about something that nobody was twisting God's arm, making him say uncle unless he did it. Nobody was giving, anybody had that pinky thing happen where they squeeze your pinky in like that? Nobody's doing that. Am I the only person? Must be a Kentucky thing, whatever. So Y'all are weird. Exactly, pray for me. Uh, salvation is by God's grace. We don't deserve it. And yet he freely, key word, gives it. And it's all God's work, right? We're the ones that needed to be saved. He's the one that provides a sacrifice even though he's offended. He provides a clear path for us because jesus has opened it by the cross this is communicated to us through his word faith is a response to hearing the word faith is a response notice it's not a work i thought about bringing one of art symbols out here and setting up in the middle and then smacking it real hard with a stick and seeing how everybody responds probably not favorably but do you get the picture when the word of God is spoken to you, when it's brought to you, when you read of what Jesus has done, when you are finally encountering the fact that you can have not just forgiveness of sin, relief of guilt, and be, a to- be totally, eternally secure in the hands of the almighty creator, what is your response to that? What is your response to what Jesus did? So notice, faith is the response to hearing the word. When we believe God's Word, He seals us for glory. And you know what that means? If He seals us, He doesn't unseal us. He doesn't save us and lose us and save us. We're not marbles, okay? We're not loose change under the couch cushion. We are people that He has paid a great price to redeem. Let's pray real quick. Father, I pray that you help us to understand the significance of faith and understanding that people are saved by hearing the Word about Christ. Father, prompt us, motivate us, bring that person or people to mind that need to hear your Word so they can respond in faith and be saved. Father, I pray this in Christ's name, amen.